Welcome to Infusion Church. My name is Tom. I'm one of the uh, team of pastors here at Infusion. And we are in the book of Philippians right now, going through a series called Finding Joy in a Broken World. This morning we're going to talk about finding joy in the pursuit of holiness. You could say finding joy as we battle sin as well, I suppose. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 is our specific text that we're going to deal with today. And uh, you can turn there if you want. It's going to be up here on the screen in a little bit. We'll, we'll read that here in just a moment. But the beginning of our text starts with, therefore. The word therefore, which means that we need to look back at some things in order to understand what the writer of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, is, is trying to teach us. In verses 12 and 13, therefore is like saying, in light of what I just said, and so the previous verses inform or, or motivate the text that we're going to look at today. So what I want to do is, is take a quick look back before we read our specific text, and we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, in the beginning of that verse, and that's kind of the beginning of the context of what we're talking about. Today And it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then in chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11, we get this awesome gospel of Jesus Christ rich text. And it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a great picture of Jesus and what he's done for us. And Paul uses that picture of Jesus to lead into the scripture that we're going to look at today. Look at the exalted Christ, and in light of the exalted Christ, verses 12 and 13, our text for today, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Would you pray with me before we move on. Almighty God, we thank you for your word, Lord, a gift from you that we may know you better. Father, I pray that you would illuminate your word. Holy Spirit of truth, guide us into the truth. This morning, captivate our hearts and our minds, Lord. Draw us near to you. Father, help us to have a disdain for the sin that's in our life. Help us to know that 
as we seek for joy in a broken world, that that joy is not found in this world, but it is found in something that transcends this world. Help us that we see that, that we find that at the cross of Christ. We find true joy in you, and because we know you, we want to pursue holiness for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's interesting that Paul writes this powerful text about the humility of Christ and the work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he paints this picture for us of the exalted God-glorifying Jesus. And he says, one day everyone is going to confess that Jesus truly is Lord. And he takes that portion of Scripture and he sandwiches it between let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, which basically says the way you live out your salvation on the earth matters. And then the other piece of bread on the bottom of that sandwich is the text we have today. And the two of those together are basically saying there is a way of life that fits and that flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the setup for what we're looking at today. Here's my objective. Here's what I'm, what I'm hoping we can accomplish. I think it's clear from Scripture that God's not only concerned about, but is deeply invested in the way that we live out our salvation. You could say God is concerned about our Christian walk, or He's deeply invested, if you want to use a theological term, he's deeply invested in our sanctification. Remember, Paul is talking to Christians in our text, and he's telling them in light of what Christ has done for you, you work out your salvation. Holiness is important to God. Spiritual maturity is important to God. God hates sin, and we see his hatred for it in the wrath that he poured out on Jesus on the cross, and we should hate it. In our disdain for sin and a, a Jesus Christ, blood-bought, God-given, God-willed, Holy Spirit-empowered desire to work out our salvation or to pursue holiness, you could say, is a clear indication of a genuine, vibrant salvation that has been worked into us and is being worked out in our lives as we live for God's glory. Well, that was a mouthful. I'm hoping to show you what I mean as we answer a few questions today. Three questions specifically, and those questions are this. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Secondly, how do we work out our own salvation? And the third, why do we work out our own salvation? So let's start with, what does it mean to work out your own salvation? Well, first of all, it's important to note, it does not mean salvation merited by works. I realize that this text we have is, is a tricky one and a potentially dangerous text, mostly because of that word work. work. For some of us, Having the words 
salvation and work anywhere near one another makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And I understand that, that discomfort. My hope is that we can, we can hold on to the truth that we are, we're reconciled to and we're made right in the eyes of God by faith alone in the work of Jesus Christ alone. We call that justification by faith alone. And at the same time, hold on to the truth that our faith is not idle. It is an active faith that produces the working out of our salvation, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We call that sanctification. I'm using some theological terms here, and so I want to give you some definitions. I use the word justification. Let me define that for you. Wayne, Wayne Grudem in his, in his uh, textbook, Systematic Theology, says justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which, he, in which God thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and God declares us to be righteous in His sight. Jesus lived a perfect life, and He died a sacrificial death, and in His death, He satisfied God's wrath upon sin, substituting Himself for us so that He could bear the punishment for our sins. And because Jesus took our place, we can be justified. We can be made righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This legal act is based solely on the merits of Jesus' perfect righteousness standing in my place so I can stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Let me give you a few scriptures that speak to this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9, and be found in him, that's Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So it's clear when we look at our text in the context of the whole Bible that it, it is not teaching us that we can in any way be justified based on the merit of our works. Okay, but it is clear to me that our justification does not allow us to stand idol. Paul says, in light of the work of Jesus, because of what he's done for you, now you work out your salvation. In fact, it, it is our justification that propels us by faith to work out, to wage war on sin, to pursue holiness. And so working out our salvation does not mean salvation by works, but it does mean Living out your justification. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you do a word study on that phrase, work out, it's very interesting. You'll find that it means to bring about or to produce, to effect. He's saying, you bring about, you produce, you effect. Peter O'Brien says in his commentary on Philippians, this phrase means continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. 
Paul uses terminology elsewhere that describes the Christian walk as a pursuit, a race, a contest, a pressing on, a fight. What he's talking about is what we call sanctification. What is that? Let me, let me define that for us as well. I'll use uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology again. It says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I, I want that. I want to be more and more like Jesus, and I want to wage war on the sin that's in my life. I want to conquer it. You could call this the war on sin, you could call it the pursuit of holiness, or you could call it working out your salvation. And I'll use those terms interchangeably. But I want to look at how sanctification is worked out in our lives. In our text, Paul's talking to people who are already justified Christians. It's clear when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. It assumes that they know and they understand the gospel that he's talking about. He's saying as Christians, our manner of life matters because God sacrificed the life of His Son to redeem our lives. And He wants us to live like His redeemed children. And it matters because sin is, is destructive idolatry. It's the opposite of God exalting. And it needs to be battled. And it needs to be conquered. I want us to see how justification and sanctification work together. Our justification is, is, is directly related to and it motivates our pursuit of holiness. The relationship between justification and sanctification is that Jesus' work in justification cancels sin. And it removes God's wrath so that the Holy Spirit can work out the righteousness that has been worked into our lives. We're going to talk about that a little bit further later. Listen to this. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And then verse 3 goes on and says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Our being made righteous and holy produces a pursuit of righteousness and holiness as we live out our lives. And so working out your salvation means walking in your justification, which often looks like waging war on sin. There's a, there's a couple of dangers here that, that I want to note, and I want us to be careful about these. There's, the da- there's a danger in saying, well, I, I'm justified, I'm, I'm made right in the eyes of God, I, I'm good with God. It's unnecessary, really, to, to battle sin. On the contrary, I think justification, it, justification doesn't make it unnecessary to wage war on sin. It makes it possible to wage war on sin. Secondly, some hear that sanctification will, will never be completed in this life, and they, and they use it to say, well, What's the use of striving for holiness if I'm never going to completely achieve it in this life anyway? 
right? Or they, or they lose hope of, of making progress and they give up the pursuit. Although it, it's true, sanctification never will be completed in this life, it seems very clear from Scripture that it should never stop increasing in our lives. We're repeatedly told in Scripture, press on, strive, be holy, hold fast, work out your salvation. Listen to what Romans 6 verse 12 says about this. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Verse 14 goes on and says, sin will have no dominion over you. Those are our kingdom warfare terms. You don't let it reign. You don't let it have dominion. How do you keep sin from, from reigning? In the same way you, you'd keep a foreign king from, from reigning in your kingdom, you wage war. You battle. Now, I realize that could be somewhat disheartening, right? Okay, I, I've, I've got to battle sin on my own here. I have to wage this war that I, ne- that I know is never going to be completed in this life. I want us to be encouraged that you're not alone in the battle. We talked about what sanctification is. It's a work of God where He engages man as we seek to be more and more like Jesus. And I want us to understand sanctification is primarily a work of God in our lives. And our text makes that clear in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God works in us in, in such a way that He enables us to desire His will. He conforms our will to His, and He empowers us to do His will. We see here this, this tension between what God has already accomplished in Christ to cancel or, or forgive our sins, and then the responsibility of His children to obey Christ as we live out our lives to work out our salvation. I want it to be clear, this isn't obedience just in the sense of follow, make sure you follow all the rules. It's coming under the lordship or the kingship of Jesus Christ, bowing a knee to Christ, absolute devotion to Him. So what does it mean to work out your own salvation in, in light of what Christ has done, walk in your justification, which empowers your sanctification, enabling you to pursue holiness and to wage war on sin. Second, how do we work out our own salvation? I want to take you right to the cross of Christ, because the cross of Christ is central in Philippians, when we look at finding joy in a broken world, finding true joy always begins and ends at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's central in Philippians, and it's central to the context of what we're talking about today. Remember we talked about that, that sandwich that's telling us your life, the way you live matters, and the way you live matters, and right in the middle of that 
is this gospel of Jesus Christ saying, look at the cross of Jesus Christ if you're going to live out this gospel life. And so we look to where, where Paul is telling us, therefore, therefore, work out your salvation. He's pointing us to the cross of Jesus. Look at his humility, his sacrificial death, his triumph over sin and death, is being exalted to the glory of God. Look at Him and, and bow before Him as one day every knee will bow before Him and because of what He has done for you, you work out your salvation. So how is the cross related to our, our sanctification or, or our battle with sin? Stick with me here. We're going to do a little bit of work here. To, to understand, engage with me, if you would. The cross cancels out sin for all who have faith in Jesus. Because my sins are canceled or, or pardoned or, or forgiven, you could say, the power of sin is broken. Cancel. First, the sin is canceled, meaning we're justified. And then the sin can be conquered. We are being sanctified. If sin isn't canceled or, or forgiven or pardoned, it can't be conquered. And so the canceling of our sin is what empowers the conquering of sin. Let me show you what I mean with a few examples from Scripture. And in each of these examples, I want you to watch how the cross of Christ engages our will to action. Okay, first of all, we died with Christ. Romans 6, 5 says, we have been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his. There's the cross. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Verse 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He's talking about this body, this body of flesh and blood that you have right now. You war against sin and you keep it from the throne of your life. Why? Because when Christ died, you shared in the power of his death. And you died with him, and the power of sin perished. So you are empowered to wage war on sin and to conquer it. Secondly, we were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. There's the cross. So glorify God in your body. Christ purchased your life with his life. We acknowledge his ownership of our lives when we bow a knee to his lordship. God, because you've purchased me, because you are Lord of my life, I want to glorify you with the flesh and blood body that you have given me for however long that may be on this earth. So there's the cross and engages my will to a response. Third, we are forgiven in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says, God in Christ forgave you. The cross. So, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You are forgiven in Christ. So this is how you live that out. This is how you treat others. This is how you act. In each of these cases, that which compels my pursuit of holiness is the cross of Jesus Christ which means that the power to conquer sin flows directly from Christ's canceling sin on the cross. 
That's why we have the therefore at the beginning of our text, because we're reminded to look back at verses 5 through 11. Remember who God is and remember what He has done for you in Jesus. We're told because Jesus has conquered sin and death and is now highly exalted, therefore you be empowered to work out the salvation that Jesus has purchased for you. Listen, without the cross, we cannot conquer sin. Because without the cross, there's no canceled sin. If you try to conquer sin without the power of the cross, you will become your own Savior. And you will nullify the work of justification. I want you to see something with me that's very important here. In each of our examples, think about what is the link between the cross of Christ and what I'm supposed to do? What's the link between the cross of Christ and my empowered will to act it out? I put myself in there. Tom, you died with Christ. So, Tom, you consider yourself dead to sin. And you let not sin reign in your body. Tom, you were bought with a price, so you glorify God in your body. The link is that my will is being engaged and empowered to act, and it's clear from our text that it is God who is doing the working and the willing in me to empower me to act obediently. God doesn't just send Jesus and then leave us on our own. It's not, well, I, you know what, I, I died for you, now you go work out your salvation. Go get them. Do your best. Good luck. But where does the power come from? What empowers my will? I want to propose to you that we work out our salvation through the cross of Christ, and because of the cross, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, In Him, it's talking about Jesus, says, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so we see the work of Jesus is carried out, or it's guaranteed the Holy Spirit. So the connection between the cross and my will being engaged as I work out my salvation is the Holy Spirit working out the work of Christ in me. I want you to see how this takes place in Scripture. I'll give you a few examples. Romans 8, 13 says, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. This is speaking to us. You put to death the deeds of the body. But who, who enables or empowers that putting to death? He says, by the Spirit. Romans 7, 6 says, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Sin once held us captive, but the power of sin died when we died with Christ. And now we're empowered to live a new life in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's another example. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live now 
in the flesh is empowered because Christ lives in me and his work is carried out in me by the Holy Spirit. Final example, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I serve, but not in my own strength, but by the strength that God supplies. So in every example that I just gave, our will is being engaged. I put sin to death. I serve. I live. I am willing. I am working out my own salvation. But in every case, it is God, by His Holy Spirit, who is willing and working in me to do according to His good pleasure. Nobody worked harder than the Apostle Paul. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So I want to repeat it for you again. The connection between the cross of Christ and our conquering sin in our lives is the engagement of our will empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we struggle with how to practically work these things out in, in our lives, I want us to see how the Spirit and the, and the flesh are pitted against one another in Scripture. Galatians 5 helps us see that in verses 16 and 17. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so there's this battle that's being waged between the desires of, of my flesh or my sinful desires and the desires of my spirit. Verse 19 goes on and says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember, Jesus has purchased our justification and your sanctification. The desires of the flesh were crucified when Christ died on that cross. Now war against them with all your might. The Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in the Spirit and produces within us the fruits of the Spirit. And we, we see, as we see the fruits of the Spirit growing in our lives, we see a greater and greater work of sanctification. This Galatians 5 text is a great mirror for evaluating our lives. I would encourage you, ask a friend, uh, your spouse, someone in your DNA group or your, or your crowded house to help you to graciously evaluate your life based on Galatians 5. Are the works of the flesh prevalent? 
or are the fruits of the Spirit prevalent? And the goal is, is that the works of the flesh would be diminishing and the fruit of the Spirit would be growing in your life. Remember, the word salvation means deliverance. Deliverance. Work out your deliverance from the desires of your flesh. Work out your deliverance from pride, from bitterness, from sexual immorality, from ungodly fear, from self-pity, from anger, and the list could go on and on and on. And so we work out our salvation through the cross of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and with fear and trembling. Our, our human insufficiency should always come to light in the presence of God. And, and fear and trembling speaks to the fact that the God of the universe is, is so close to you. That the God who, who sent His Son and, and sacrificed His Son and, and raised His Son from death, exalting His Son and giving Him the name that's above every name is so concerned about you that he's acting in you and willing in you and he's on your team helping you as you wage war against the sin that you battle. God's, God's engagement doesn't limit our engagement. In fact, I would say God's engagement is what creates or, or what motivates within us the will to work out our salvation. So how do we work out our salvation? Through the cross of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and in fear and trembling, knowing that God is near. Finally, why? Why do we work out our own salvation? Well, it, it confirms our saving faith, or you could say it, it offers us assurance of salvation. So here we are, justified, accepted by God, forgiven of our sins, and completely secure in Christ. And it's with that in mind that we read a scripture like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, which says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You strive for peace, it's saying. You pursue holiness because only the holy will see the Lord. Roger Ellsworth says this in his, his commentary. Paul was calling the Philippians, therefore, to work out what God had worked in. They were to live in such a way as to manifest that God had done His saving work within them. They were to show outwardly what God had done inwardly. While we must not believe in salvation by works, we must most certainly believe in a salvation that works. In other words, we must not fall for that lie of the devil which suggests that one can truly be saved and not manifest it by good works. If we have no desire to live for the Lord, we have no right to say we know the Lord. And living for the Lord becomes easier when we understand that it is the Lord for whom we live. Conquering our canceled sin is a sign that we truly know Jesus and are living out our justification. It, this is not to say that canceled sin can be uncanceled or that the justified can be unjustified. I, I like what a, a pastor that I like to listen to says, the will to kill canceled sin is the necessary sign that it is canceled. The will to kill canceled sin is the necessary sign that it is canceled. Our salvation is not earned by our righteous living. 
but it is confirmed by our righteous living. So why do we work out our salvation? Because it confirms our saving faith, and finally, we find joy in the pleasure of God. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. All of us, even God it seems, are pursuing pleasure or joy in some way, shape, or form. We're all pursuing joy. And one of Paul's main themes in Philippians is how to find true joy. And if you want to find joy in a broken world, don't think that the source of of that joy is going to be found in that broken world. You're going to have to look to something that transcends that broken world. It's clear Scripture teaches us we were made for God's glory. And another way to say that is we were made for His good pleasure. God's pleasure in His presence is where we find our greatest treasure. Paul was pointing us to our greatest treasure when he said, therefore, at the beginning of our text, look at the exalted, glorified Jesus. Because when we find our greatest treasure in Him, we will fulfill our greatest joy. Working out our salvation means pursuing a superior joy than sin. Pursue everlasting joy in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what I want. Pleasures forevermore. Don't you want that? The working out of our salvation confirms our saving, grace, our saving faith and we find joy in the pleasure of God as He transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. And our passion for God's glory is expressed in our pursuit of holiness and our relentless battle to conquer the canceled sin in our lives. I want to conclude by saying, please do not hear me saying that you can lose genuine salvation. Please do not hear me saying that you can in any way be justified in the eyes of God based upon your own merits. And I'm not talking about perfection. He's not here on this earth. It's clear that sanctification is a lifelong process that will, be compl- that will not be completed until we see Jesus face to face. But we must pursue it with every fiber of our being. At Infusion, we're all about glorifying God as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and His family. Now, the leading people to part, I, I think most people get. But sometimes we lack, and this includes me, sometimes we lack in the leading people through part of our mission, I think. But one aspect of that leading people through is the pursuit of holiness. We don't just lead people to Jesus and then say, all right, peace out, good luck, see you later. We walk alongside one another as we live out our justification. 
We point one another to the cross of, of Christ where our sin is canceled and forgiven. And we encourage one another to conquer canceled sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we assure one another of the genuineness of our faith as we grow in the fruits of the Spirit. And finally, we find joy in the pleasure and the presence of God, and we're reminded that He's on our team, working in us to will and to do for His good pleasure and for the glory of His name. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're in awe of You. We are in awe of who You are and all that You have done for us, and we rightly bow a knee before You. We bow a knee before the exalted Christ who is given the name above every name because we know that we need the work of Christ on the cross to cancel our sin. Help us, Lord, that we, that we despise the sin that's in our life, Lord. And we run to the cross, Lord, and that by your Holy Spirit empower us to work out that which you have worked into us. Lord, as we battle with all of our might, the sin that tries to ensnare us and lead us astray and tries to reign in our lives, Father. Help us that we let not sin reign in our mortal bodies, Lord. Lord, grant us a passion for your glory and a pursuit of holiness and that you would find pleasure as we pursue you empowered by your Spirit.